Hi everyone, and welcome to our podcast, In Good Company. I'm Nicola Tangen, the CEO of the Norwegian Sovereign Wealth Fund, and your host today. Today, we are doing a bonus episode with a world-leading expert on perfectionism. Why do we work so hard? Does it lead to better results? What does it do to the workplace? What does it do to us? Tune in. So a lot of people are just kind of uh, grinding away day and night, tireless pursuit for perfection. You know, trying to get the perfect grades, perfect job, perfect partner. I guess that sounds uh, familiar for a lot of people. But um, what if I told you that this relentless quest for perfection is actually not just exhausting us, but is also not making us perform any better? So to discuss this and other things, really pleased, got the world-leading expert on perfectionism, Thomas Curran. Welcome. Thank you very much. That's a lovely introduction. It's great <laughs> to chat. Great. Now, what is perfectionism? Okay, so I guess the... The starting point for understanding perfectionism is really to get into the weeds of it a little bit mm. and understand where it begins. And perfectionism begins with a place of lack, of a place of deficit, of a feeling that we are not quite enough, not perfect enough. And from that starting point, what we're trying to do as perfectionistic people is conceal, disguise, hide, to repair in some way what we know deep down to be an imperfect self. So perfectionism is really about trying to overcome what we feel as deficit and lack through excessive standards, through trying to project into the world a perfect image of ourselves. We want other people to see perfect performances, perfect appearances mm. um, because of that starting lack. So in the book, which is, by the way, a fantastic book, The Perfection Trap, you all have to read it. Um, you split perfectionism into three. It is the self-oriented perfectionism. I the kind of thing you cause yourself. It's how you impose your perfectionism on other people and how, in a way, you make a lot of people miserable. And then the type of perfectionism that the society is imposing through you, now also through social media. But if you start with kind of the self-oriented perfectionism, what is that? Self-oriented perfectionism is a, I guess, a burning need to be perfect and nothing but perfect. Uh, and, and it comes with uh, self-critical tendencies when we haven't met those high and excessive standards. So when we have, feel like we fell short, uh, we feel very self-critical, we go in on ourselves. How could you be so stupid? What were you thinking? Sort of internal dialogue. Are you, are you born with it? Certain, to a certain degree, yes. About 30 to 40 percent of self-oriented perfectionism is inherited. Um, so if you have perfectionistic parents... Uh, it's highly likely you'll probably carry some of those tendencies through uh, yourself. But that also leaves a lot for the environment to explain. So it's a mixture of both. Mm. And any geographical differences? I mean, for instance, I just saw the that uh, speed train in uh, in Japan uh, the last, what is it, uh, 50 years. The average delay has been less than one second. Whilst in the, uh, I'm not going to say what happens to trains in the UK, but uh, they are... They're always on time, Nicola. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, in Switzerland, everybody's on time. Uh, everything works. Uh, you go to Spain, everybody's 15 minutes late, if if not more. Yeah. Is it is it tied to geographies? Of course, look, there will be definite cultural differences in perfectionism. We don't, we don't again, this is a great thing about perfection in some ways as an academic because the data is very limited. So there's a lot of opportunity to explore these research questions. What we do know from the data that we've collated is that if you look at self-oriented perfectionism, for instance, that high self-set need and desire mm. to be perfect, well, that's really high in the US. 
for example, <laughs> but not so high in European countries. Uh, so the kind of very individualistic focus of the US economy, you know, the kind of American dream, so to speak, certainly is impacting on people's psychologies in terms of self-oriented, but less so in other areas. So we do see some differences that are linked to culture. And there's a lot of grounds to suggest that this is a very culturally dependent trait. And that's certainly the basis of my book, actually, is perfectionism mm. is a cultural phenomenon. Um, so we need more data, but I'd certainly say that there's strong links between culture and perfection. Thomas, can a, a perfectionist be married to a non-perfectionist? Oh. Because uh... <laughs> you tried, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I would say it would be tricky, not impossible, but I, I think uh, there would be a lot of uh, clashes, a lot of <laughs> um, tensions, perhaps. But that's not to say it couldn't be worked through. That's not to say that, you know, uh, love is love at the end of the day. And uh, but yeah, I would say it would be a challenge for sure. Moving on to um, the second strand of um, of the perfectionist model, the what you call the other oriented perfectionism. So I you are perfect and you expect everybody else to be perfect. Yes. So tell me about that. Um, well, the other-oriented uh, perfectionism is is really perfectionism turned outwards. I suppose it's what Freud would call projection, right? So yeah. you've got this idea of I'm pouring myself over hot coals to be perfect, and I'm very self-critical when I haven't met that high standard. So it's only fair that everyone around me is going to have to carry those same expectations, the same pressures with them, right? Like mm. this is this is just uh, a moral question in the mind of the other-oriented perfectionist, and. Uh, which is fine, and I'm sure we've all experienced another oriented perfectionist, very high demands, uh, can't tolerate substandard performances and let people know when they haven't performed up to their standard. Um, but it's not necessarily conducive to harmonious relationships. See a lot of relationships of oriented perfectionism and interpersonal conflict, for example. Um, in the workplace, it can create tension. Uh, in personal relationships, it also can create dissatisfaction with expectations that we're placing on other people that are unrelenting. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting form of perfectionism, probably the least well-researched but certainly exists. We've all experienced it, I'm sure, and can have some negative impacts when it comes to relations. Well, isn't this kind of the uh, the uh, description of uh, the boss from hell? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, there's there's a lot of high profile people who uh, I would say have had other oriented perfectionistic tendencies. Uh, Steve Jobs, for instance, mm. uh, pioneering entrepreneur, turned Apple's fortunes around, clearly a hugely successful guy, but also mm. a perfectionistic person. Uh, and testimony from ex-colleagues have described him as having exceptionally high standards and not being able to tolerate when things haven't gone quite to plan. And that, of course, has had some good benefits, but it also had some negative effects in the workplace around Apple. And I think that's important to bear in mind that, you know, other-oriented perfectionism can, can drive in an organization exceptionally high standards, a culture of exceptionally high standards, but it does so by fear. Mm. by a sense that if we don't get it quite perfect or we make a mistake, then it's going to come down on us like a ton of bricks. And and so um, I think, yes, overall, it's probably something that to, to be avoided. Yeah. Uh, well, I've seen some stats which says that 70% um, of people who leave their jobs, they do it because of their immediate boss. Yeah. Do you think there's a lot of this micromanagement involved here i think so i mean when people feel like they're under surveillance all the time when 
if they make a mistake there's going to be ramifications sometimes quite severe then then that that stops us from allowing ourselves to be wrong Mm. and what does it what does it do to you well it create it, it creates in us a sense that okay well we've got to do everything at a hundred percent you know we have to do everything perfectly essentially like every single job every single email every single project every single presentation has to be absolutely nailed to the satisfaction of our Uh, bosses and if we and if we slip up that's there's going to be problems and of course you know we are human beings we're imperfect we do make mistakes uh we fall short um and that's the whole you know it's part parcel of a learning process you know Mm. nobody comes into a job bulletproof and i think if you create a culture where mistakes are punished and people feel very fearful of failing then you you create a lot of um reluctance uh to take risks to Mm. be creative to push the boundaries a little bit in terms of what's possible and all of that of course is not conducive to high performance uh, or harmonious relationships so i have no uh, you know, not doesn't surprise me that 75 percent people leave because of their bosses i think it's quite stifling mm. and when we when we're in environments that allow us to flourish and take risks and take chances and fail we feel a lot happier and mm. more engaged mm. Moving on to the, um, the third uh, part of the model here, the socially prescribed perfectionism. What is that? Socially prescribed perfectionism is perfectionism that comes from the outside. Mm. So yes, perfectionistic people want to be perfect for their own ends. And yes, sometimes they can project those expectations onto others. But also there's a sense in the perfectionistic people that other people have the same expectations that I have on myself mm. for me. So, And where does that come from? can come from the immediate people around us or it can just come from the environment more generally it's just a a a lens through which we view the world which tells us that everybody's watching they expect flawless performances and if i don't meet up to those high and excessive expectations then they're they're waiting to pounce Mm. they're coming for me they're going to criticize and so socially prescribed perfectionism is perhaps the most extreme form of perfectionism in some ways it's certainly got the strongest correlation with serious mental health issues. Mm. And I don't think there's any surprise there. If we constantly feel like we're under surveillance with being watched, then we're going to go through the world concealing, hiding, avoiding, Mm. and feeling exceptionally self-conscious. A lot of shame, a lot of embarrassment, a lot of guilt when we have shown a chink in the armory. So socially prescribed perfectionism certainly is very uh, live right now. We, well, you talk you talk about a perfectionist epidemic. Exactly. And this is the exact form of perfectionism that we're seeing rise really, really sharply. Hmm. Uh, it's very widespread. It's on an exponential curve, which means it's rising very fast and will continue to rise even faster into hmm. the future if we don't do something about it. Seem to seem to have started around 2005. Now, what happened around <laughs> that time? I don't know. That period oh, was very on, we know, settled. We kind of right? know. know what happened. Then. Yeah, there wasn't much going on in 2005, six, seven, was there? Um, look, you know, but then what happened? Clearly, you know, the uh, there was big events around the mid 2000s. We we all know what happened, um, and and there was a lot. Well, tell us what what happened. Well, there was a lot of things going on. Of course, the, the economy uh, crashed. Uh, we entered into a quite deep recession. Um, so opportunities dwindled. Uh, young people found it harder to to get into the workplace. There was more competition for college places. Um, so we, we start to see an acceleration of societal pressure 
which makes life difficult. Uh, the response to the uh, crisis, of course, was lower interest rates, money printing, which pushed asset prices higher, which means rents and property became more expensive. So young people found it more difficult uh, to, set, to set up stability. Um, you also had technology start to take off at this time too, uh, Nikolai. We had iPhone, for instance, release the, uh, sorry, Apple released the iPhone in 2007. But don't you think that's the really main thing here? Yeah, I think so. But I think I think uh, certainly, look, social. There's no doubt about it that 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 day is significant in terms of social media platforms being transported into our lives twenty four seven. No escape from limitless images of perfect lives and lifestyles that are beamed at us almost twenty four seven. So what? So that, what? What does social media do to us? Well, social media creates a scrambled reality a hyper-reality, so to speak, where everybody is curating uh, perfect lives and lives into which we feel like we have to conform, we have to match, right? Like that, what we see around us is this kind of limitless aura of perfection. And so we we not only feel, we not only feel that that's desirable, i.e. that's how we should be living too, should be living, but also that it's eminently obtainable because everybody else seems to have this luxurious life and lifestyle, attractive, fit, healthy, productive, and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. And then if we don't match those excessive expectations, those warped expectations, that there must be something wrong with us, that somehow we must be flawed, deficient, imperfect. And of course, that intensifies these perfectionistic tendencies. Mm. So look, I've no doubt that, that social media is certainly a key piece to the rising socially prescribed perfectionism. Um, but as I write in my book, I think there are other broader macroeconomic factors, which I think we also have to bear in mind mm. when it comes to pressures on young people and those pressures being internalized as excessive um, and in order to survive, in order to feel like they matter or have worth in that society, it's important to be to be perfect. And I think that's mm. what we're seeing in the data. Well, it seems to be, I mean, there are, there are numbers and research showing the relationship between how much time you spend on social media and your level of happiness. And so you would have thought that there was an element of that in there. Oh, sure, sure, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of research to show that social media can undermine happiness, uh, particularly overuse of social media. Uh, the more time you're on there, the the uh, less happy you are that's what the data seems to be suggesting um but i think we have to also be very careful to extrapolate from that the social media is universally bad like i think there are very um, enlivening parts of social media that we need to hold on to you know bringing bringing about community uh, sharing interests finding out news and bits of information that perhaps we wouldn't have had access to ordinarily yeah. like these are really important things um but there is certainly the comparative element of social media you know that very visual comparative element that i think is 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 part of the problem mm. i've seen um research lately which seemed to indicate that well i mean the the results vary a bit but uh, everywhere from one in three to one in five of young people have psychological problems how how is that linked to is that linked to perfectionism yeah, I mean, we have to, I have to be careful to extrapolate too much from the data. Of course, yeah. all, all all I've done is done a um, a big, wide, a very large um, uh, piece of cohort analysis, which is showing that perfections are rising over time. And what I'm trying to do in the book is say that perhaps there's something underneath that trend which tells us about these more observable outcomes that we're seeing in society, i.e. the links between perfectionism and depression, anxiety, eating disorders, and all the rest of it, are perhaps one of the reasons why we're seeing those things increase, the rise in perfection is rising in lockstep with those things. So there's a circumstantial correlation. Um, and I've, you know, I've talked about why those things are linked, but 
I think also we have to be very careful that there are lots of factors at play. And I think perfectionism might be one of very many. Mm. Now, perfectionists um, rarely seek help or go to therapy. Why is that? Because there's such an intent need to disguise hiding. The, the base motive for perfectionistic people is to avoid showing any chink in the armory, to avoid failure, setbacks, shortcomings. And they will avoid them to such an intense degree that they are happy to sabotage their chances of success, right? The primary motive is not to be seen to slip up, not to be seen to be vulnerable. And so, you know, when you move through the world uh, with that focus and, and, uh, and that priority, then of course, when things go wrong, when you hit setbacks, which you will, when we encounter grief, heartbreak, um, things that are outside of our control, you know, when a global pandemic comes along, and makes things really tough. The perfectionist tries to push through those things, tries to put their ha uh, foot harder on the accelerator to try to use their perfectionism to overcome what's happening to them. Well, of course, that's not a very good way to cope. It certainly doesn't allow us to slow down. Mm. It certainly doesn't allow us to seek help. And those things we know are really important in order to recover from those stressful events. So perfection is a bit like anti-resilience in some ways. You know, it doesn't allow us to take setbacks and things that we can't control on the chin to you know absorb them to let them in to slow down when we need to it makes us push past these things at mm. all costs and that cost can, can be quite significant when it comes to our mental health mm. the slightly um, counterintuitive thing here is that or you you say so in the book at least that perfectionists are actually not doing better at school and they are not doing better in the workplace so they're not more successful generally yeah how, how come well, there's a very interesting psychology among perfectionists. And, and this is something that we didn't expect to see when we did our studies. And yet it came back time and time again. And I've called it the perfectionistic paradox. Because what happens with perfectionistic people is that whenever you tell them to do something for the first time, they'll put everything in, in of themselves into it. So this is why you see hard work and um, perseverance associated with perfectionism. You know, these people work harder, they work more hours. Um, in fact, perfection is probably correlated with things like workaholism, for instance. We know they do these things. But the moment they encounter challenge is when you see something really interesting happen. So perfectionistic people, uh, when you put them in the lab, you give them something to do. And then at the end, you say, okay, you didn't quite achieve the success on this task, right? You failed, basically. But it doesn't matter. Have another go, right? You can redeem yourself. And what happens is people who aren't very perfectionistic will not really change their effort on the second occasion. In fact, they'll put a little bit more in. <laughs> Perfectionist people do the opposite. They just completely withdraw themselves because they felt so ashamed and embarrassed of showing that weakness, of not meeting that target, that they will completely take themselves away so they don't feel those feelings again. It's really an anxiety management technique, mm -hmm. taking ourselves away from the anxiety to not feel these things. That's linked to avoidance, but it's also linked to things like procrastination too. Mm -hmm. That's why perfectionism is so strongly correlated procrastination, the avoidance of really difficult tasks uh, to, to manage the anxiety of thinking that we might not succeed this time. Mm -hmm. That's not at all conducive to performance. That's... Um, uh, that's not conducive to creativity. It's not conducive to innovation, uh, which are all you know things that companies and organisations really need today in a knowledge economy. So yes, I think one of the reasons why we don't see very strong links between perfectionism and performance is because 
perfectionist focus is on avoiding failure rather than shooting for success. Mm. What I think is really funny here is that we try, or a lot of people try to be perfect, but we just don't like perfect people. I mean, we don't, right? We like people who got failures. We we actually trust people more when they admit mistakes mm. than if they don't. And I just think that's really, really odd. Well, okay, I'll, I'll put that, that question to you in the in the you've obviously have an esteemed career have you worked in in organizations where that hasn't been the case that's to say that you felt under pressure to perform to a certain level and that mistakes have been punished and and has 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 that created a lot of anxiety in you, Do you is it more is it easier for you to work in, in places where vulnerability is allowed where mistakes are allowed absolutely absolutely i have worked uh places where it wasn't allowed and uh, I was pretty miserable yeah and and why but why was why were you miserable is it because you you didn't like that culture and you wanted to get out of it or is it because of the of the fear that, that those cultures instilled about making mistakes uh or, or was it because it didn't create harmonious relationships with I think I, <laughs> I think all the above yeah <laughs> micromanagement is doesn't sit well with me I mean uh if somebody tells me what to do, I I would uh, I very often uh, would do the opposite. Mm. It's uh, it's probably also a dislike for authority. I mean, uh, being in the army didn't sit particularly well with me either. No. Yeah. So. Um, moving into the to this area, this perfectionism in the organization. Um, uh, what what does it do to a workplace? Well, I, Nicola, I think that's a question for you as much as it is for me because I'm an academic. I mean, yeah. I, I I can tell you about cultures and organisations and certain practices that firms have employed that have been successful in addressing these issues. But I don't know what it's like to work in these organisations on a day to day basis. So that I I'm, maybe that's one for you. Like, what do you think these kind of pressures do to? No, I think it's um um. I mean, on the one hand, you want to strive for for excellence and do really good work at the same time you want to um, you want to have give people the opportunity to make mistakes and you know provide that kind of psychological safety which is important for creativity and so on so it's a it's a it's a finely balanced thing but you know some some companies i think mckinsey has said that uh, they hire insecure overachievers mm. you know kind of perfectionists yeah i mean Look, there's no doubt that there is a um, there is a certain degree of perfectionism that I can understand firms looking for. It it wouldn't necessarily be the fear that's conducive to the performance, but the anxiety that goes underneath some of the perfectionist tendencies can push people really far. Like I speak from personal experience in this, by the way. Like you know, I've considered myself to be a perfectionistic person all throughout my twenties. Um, I push myself well beyond comfort in order to be where I am. But it came at great cost too. Mm. And while that's something that perhaps might be great for the organisation or the firm, it is a, it is the short road to burnout for mm. a lot of the individual employees that carry those tendencies into the workplace because it's not sustainable, Nicola. Mm. Is is you know you can work evenings, weekends. You can put yourself to all sorts of intolerable pressure under intolerable pressures, uh, 
and you can find at the end and at the end of all of that that whilst you may be ostensibly successful in your career that there is something that is taken from you in terms of your mental health in terms of your time with family friends and all the rest of it and so really i think for me it's about balance it's about understanding that yes there are elements of this mindset if you want to call it that that are conducive to high performance and can elevate people mm. but there are also elements that we need to be extremely cognizant to um sand down to manage to try to create environments that don't emphasize or amplify those tendencies and that's mm. our challenge i think it's about trying to cultivate the excellence that you talk about whilst also making sure that it's sustainable and that people can come to it vitalized happy rejuvenated all of which we know are really important for the It's interesting. We um, I recently spoke with the CEO of Adidas, and he talks about a burnout being a function of people not being themselves, trying to pretend they're somebody else. And uh, I think that's probably related to that as well. So it leads to a lot of um, a lot of a lot of burnouts. Now I I try to um, advocate for bringing half baked ideas, which is not easy to do if you're a perfectionist, I guess. No. Because the unknown, right? Like there's there's, there's too much uncertainty there. Yeah. Uh, you don't know if it's going to work. It's highly likely to fail. That's going to be really tough to perfect. Mm. And we also try to call things a pilot if we think it may not succeed. So for instance, this podcast, it was a pilot. Yeah. We didn't know whether it was going to fly. Uh, <laughs> and to kind of take away, the, to diminish the embarrassment in case it was a total failure, we called it a... We call it a pilot. So that's a pretty good way of doing it, I think. I think that's great. And also it, it calibrates expectations from the very start. Yeah. You know, if you put too much pressure on something flying from the get-go, there is so much that we can't control about these things too. And I think it's really important to make sure that if we want something to be successful, that we have realistic expectations of everybody on the team. So. But can you but can you think of a successful organization which hasn't been perfectionist? I can't think of, like, of a, a specific organization, but I know that a lot of organizations right now are, are wrestling with how to create um, cultures that are different to how they've been structured in the past. There's a kind of Rankin-Yang performance-based um, outcomes and all the rest of it. I, I know Google experimented with a very radical idea of to, to pay people to fail, to give people money for taking chances and failing. I mean, that's very radical, but what that instilled... Is a, is, a, is a readiness for people to take chances and most of them aren't going to come off but if one does then that innovation you know could be the next could be the next multi-billion uh, dollar technological tool it could be mm, right mm. um atom bank is experimenting a four-day weekend in a sort of four-day work week in the uk again they're trying to figure out can we get more from less that's to say that you know yes it sounds radical to take a day away from employees but on those four days are they more focused are they coming to work rejuvenated are they coming to work with uh, uh, uh more productivity essentially and you're seeing that in a lot of the experience of the four-day week that it seems to be working mm. like that's to say you can get more for less and again that's one environment that i think says to people that we, we we value your work but we also value free time mm. so what's the sweet spot there what should we target because well, getting something 100 right is very very expensive right and it takes the last 10 takes a lot of time a lot of money uh and it's and it's and it's tough so should we target like 90 uh, good 85 good 80 good what do you what do you target 
I think it's really difficult to put a number on it because what is 80% good? Like, what is 90% good? I, I think the best way to think about it is this. Look, when you do any project at work, yeah. uh, there's going to be hundreds of ways that are good enough. That's to say, hundreds of ways you can produce that project, that report, that is good enough. That's to say, that, that hits the targets, um, that provides the client with what they needed and gives some value back to the organization. Hundreds of ways that are good enough. But there is no perfect way. Because perfect is is an impossible outcome. You can mm. be iterating, you can be changing, you can be editing to the midnight, right? And and all the while probably compromising the quality because you you started to meddle with with the things that were were fine, right? Mm. So it's really really important to bear in mind, I think, in an organisation that just letting things go when it's of a of a level that fulfils what's expected, the criteria of what's needed, and the expectation of both the firm or the client. That's that's the good enough moment to go out and then move on to the next thing and then move on to the next thing. You know, it's so so important to just have in your your mind uh, an ability to let things out into the world because mm. that's that's the thing that stops perfectionistic people uh, succeeding. It's it's an inability to just let it go. They dither, they procrastinate, they're over they're over schedule, and of course this has massive knock on implications. Uh, for the organization and the firm. Can I ask you a question? Yes, perfect. Because you, you were going to ask me a question here about CEOs. Yeah. And I'm really interested in that because I, I was like, oh, if you asked mm. me that question, I wouldn't be able to answer it. But do you do you think in, in your world that in order to be a CEO, like to get to the very, very top of what is a very elite profession, that you have to have a little bit of perfectionism? Because I don't sense in yourself that you have strong perfectionist tendencies and yet mm. here you are so i'm wondering your take on this do you think it do you think it's necessary or do you think it's something you could do well you probably know that i'm not a perfectionist because you may have even read my dissertation which i wrote at the your department at the lse <laughs> um you know what i think it kind of helps not to be a perfectionist to be a ceo because um in my mind a ceo is about setting the direction yeah. deciding which mountains to climb and rally the troops mm. And I think the way, the way to rally the troops is through motivation is not about, you know, micromanagement. I think it's really counterproductive. And um, I also think, and this was something that Sam Altman um, said in the podcast we did with him, if you should not be too prescriptive in what you want to, what you want people to achieve, you know, you, you don't want to have two specific targets. You want to tell them uh, the task and then see what they come up with. Mm. And that's the amazing thing. And I see it with, with, uh, our own organization that sometimes you give people uh, a suggestion or a task and they come up with something which is amazing and beyond what you would ever expect was possible. And so if you are too specific, too micromanaging, you you would just destroy all that. You destroy people's creativity. You destroy the, the ownership of their work um, and you take away the pleasure and, and uh, you know, the fun part of work. It's interesting. That's really interesting, yeah. And it's it's so important for someone like yourself to say that, because because I think right now we have a lay perception that you know you've got to push yourself to the nth degree, um, and that you have to be relentlessly working in order to succeed. And actually, what I hear you saying is that sometimes it isn't just about that almost unrelenting pursuit obviously you need the hard work of course you do but also so there's other aspects of getting to the top that fall outside of that you see in a way i think it's probably uh i think it's counterproductive in another way as well i think it's about in my mind managing uh, an organization is about seeing the people 
And it's about not seeing just the results of what they're doing, but it's trying to see the person, what makes the people tick, thrive, when are they in the flow, and try to make sure that they are in that situation as often as possible. Now, if you just focus on the results and, you know, wanting perfect results, you will just not have time and not have the ability to work with work with them as people. Yeah, I think that's very, very important. I think it's more important than ever before. Yeah, I, I, I'm just, this is music to my ears because it's really nice to hear somebody like yourself talk in these terms. Because I think this is a, a bit of a paradigm shift that needs to occur. Um, that actually you can get, you know, the foc the focus really is 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 on people, right? Like you know, um, if you focus too much on productivity and and uh, you know, profit margins and all the rest of it, then I think you can easily forget that there are people underneath those those margins that are that are doing incredible work to make sure that the company grows year on year on year. But you've got to look after them. You know, you've got to make sure they're in a safe comfortable environment where they can feel free to express themselves their ideas take risks and all the rest of it and I, you know i think there's a counterculture occurring but it's it's slow to take take off and it's really nice to hear someone like yourself um uh, really speaking in glowing terms for those kinds of areas of um productivity if you want well-being um as opposed to just the bottom line mm. Is there a link between extremely hard work and perfectionism? Do you have people who are extremely hard who are not perfectionist? Uh, yeah, they, they do work extremely hard. But again, it goes back to this paradox, right? They work extremely hard in certain circumstances. Mm -hmm. yeah. But do you also have do you also know people who work extremely hard who are not particularly perfectionistic? Yeah, of, of course. Like right. People who are conscientious, people who are diligent, people who are meticulous, you know, uh, work exceptionally hard. Is it worked? Is it linked to grit in any way? Grit is um, an interesting. Uh, I, I, I like what Angela Duckworth has done with this um, uh, with this aspect of character, you know, mm. uh, purpose and perseverance. It's it's a very. Um, I think it's been extremely helpful for a lot of people. Clearly, she's a best-selling author. People seem to resonate with this mm. this topic and and can see that being gritty, resilient, being able to um, push past adversity, all these things are really positive. Um, for performance, but I would say also Nikolai, everything in moderation. Right, there are times when sometimes it's not smart to persevere. You know, if a project is going down a dead end, it's really important you actually know know when to quit, know when to stop, and move on to something else as well. So it's like anything. Perfectionism is is kind of achievement striving taken to an extreme, mm. right? And and I, I think it's the challenge of people and organizations to find, as you mentioned, that sweet spot. Where's the sweet spot? The moderation will be capturing that hard work and that perseverance. But we're also making sure that we're working smart too uh, and that we're, we're identifying what's working and we're focusing and we're making sure that we can identify issues, challenges, setbacks, mistakes, and we can put them right. You know, and that, that's the challenge. So everything in moderation. So Thomas, let's move on now to what to do about it. So let's now assume that I'm a perfectionist. How should I cope with it? Well, there are many different ways you can think about it from a personal perspective, but also from an organizational perspective. Let's talk about it from a personal first. The, the key thing is to, to know that things aren't as bad as what you think they are in your mind. When, it's, when, we, when we talk about the reluctance to let it go, perfectionists find it difficult to let things go. They find it difficult to push themselves into challenging situations. This is also one of the reasons, by the way, perfectionists struggle to succeed in their careers because 
if they put themselves into a situation where they might be judged, like presentations or for job promotions, they kind of recoil from that because they don't. That fear is so paralyzing. So it's so, so important to know that the consequences of what you, you're so in fear of, like the con that, that, that imperfect person that you're living in fear of, you try not to make sure that doesn't get shattered. You know, it's really, it's, it's really not as bad as you think. When you put yourself out there, when you let things go, when you do a bad presentation, right, you're going to get feedback and maybe it's not going to be very good, but actually let yourself go through those experiences. Be courageous in some ways to push yourself out there and do things a little bit out of your comfort zone because you'll find that actually it's okay. <laughs> well, you say that, but how did you cope with that? I mean, you are, you are a perfectionist. I mean, do you manage to get through these kind of things easily? No, I don't. And, and, and I still struggle. But the, the key point to this is that you've got to do it anyway. Putting a book out into the world, for instance, is the hardest thing to do. You know, and, and the writing it is so triggering for your perfectionism because you want it to be bulletproof and you want it to go out in the world. And you worry all the time about the feedback that's going to come after. You worry people are going to hate it. They're going to hate you. They're not going to like the book. I put it out into the world. I tried to make it as bulletproof possible. And you know what, Nikolai? People still didn't like it, right? Many people loved it. I loved it. Thank you, Nikolai. I appreciate it. But some people didn't. And, and actually, I thought that that was going to be a huge threat. Like, I thought that that was going to be really difficult for me to, uh, to take. But actually, it isn't. And this is the point I'm trying to make. Like, ju just put it out there. Like, the most important thing is to get things done. And know that, yes, it's not always going to go well. There is a good rule of thumb here. Even if you do something which is absolutely perfect and correct, 10% of people, per definition, will not like it. You can always have people not liking what you do. A hundred percent. You can't. That's a really good rule to have. You cannot please everyone, and, no. and there's always going to be bad feedback. There's always going to be criticism, and that's and and actually, you know, it, in many ways, that's a sign that you've been brave enough to put something in the world for somebody to criticize. Mm -hmm. Like, so it's it's a reinforcement that this was a really uh, difficult and important and achievement, and uh, and but you can't experience those feelings unless you get it out there. Mm. So it's really important to be courageous, show vulnerability, push yourself forward for things that maybe ordinarily you wouldn't push yourself forward for and learn through that experience it's okay. You also talk about self-compassion. What do you what do you put in that? Well, that's an important component of being brave because you're going to encounter situations where things haven't gone quite so well if you uh, are willing to put yourself out there more. So in those moments, you have to then be very clear to yourself that this is part and parcel of a learning process of a growth process and that instead of going in on yourselves like your perfectionism would tell you to do how could you be so stupid what were you thinking you need to treat yourself with kindness all the time remind yourself that you are a fallible human being and that sometimes things are going to not go to plan and that's okay this is just part and parcel of life uh, there's always next time so you you know at, on top of being bold and courageous and vulnerable you have to at all times be kind to yourself because you are going to hit setbacks and kindness is way better than criticism. What parts of perfectionism needs more work and more research? Oh, loads, of, loads of parts of perfectionism, Nicola. This is a very um, new area. Uh, I think the cultural stuff that you talked about earlier, we need way more on this. Mm. I would love to do cross-cultural comparisons of perfectionism to see mm. where, um, where levels are higher or lower. I think that would be a fascinating research question. I think the relationship between perfectionism and performance at work is an important one also to try and unpack. A lot of meta-analytical studies have shown zero relationship there, but I'd like to know why Why that is. What are the mechanisms? Is it because perfectionists procrastinate? Is it because perfectionists tend to burn out more? 
is it because they just don't deal with stress as effect, as as uh, healthily as, as non-perfectionistic people again the answer to those questions are still open and i'd love to do more work in that area so cross-cultural stuff perfectionism in the workplace i think these are really important areas of future work mm. Well, Thomas, it's been uh, great to have you on the podcast. There is um, there is a Japanese aesthetic philosophy, which is called Wabi Sabi, which is about the perfect imperfect, to celebrate the flaws and the things which are not fantastic. Perhaps uh, that's where we need to go. Yeah, I mean, this is a philosophy that teaches us there's something beautiful in the broken, in the fragile, in the in the chinks, the curves, and the Um, the harsh edges and that life is finite you know it's uh, we are exhaustible creatures and we're mere mortals at the end of the day and and there's something there's something quite joyous about that actually mm. there's uh, that that knowing those things is incredibly humanizing and uh, i mean i can i completely agree i think this is this is a philosophy that um has tremendous potential uh to help us through those difficult moments knowing that that's just part and parcel of life And sometimes the way things happen and the way things occur is just fate and fate is nothing personal. We're just human beings. And I think this is this is a nice lesson. Great place to end. Big thank you. Thank you, Nicola. It's been a pleasure.